Welcome to Wing Talk from the INAP Fixed Wing Group. Now here is your host, Steve Schlesinger. Hey everybody, welcome to Wing Talk. I am Steve Schlesinger. Today is our nothing but a G thing baby show. We've got Adam G and Rory G in with us today. But uh, first, we're going to say hello to one of our favorite pilots in charge, our personal Sherpa for INAV and everything INAV, Mr. Mark Hoffman. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, Steve. I'm doing great. Uh, looking forward as, uh, to a good show, as always. And it's great to have Rory and Adam here again. Uh, yeah, so looking forward to speaking with those guys once again. You know, I was going to say, the reason I threw it to you first is that... Um, we, this is the continuation of the British invasion here today. We're just like the outcasts as far as you and I, or I'm the American and the German, and everyone else is British. So for one small little island, there seems to be a lot of people who love flying INAV on that island. So fantastic. So speaking of our favorite, one of our favorite British guys, Luke, I understand you have not been feeling super well. So um, yeah, I'm hoping, thank you for making it. We weren't sure you were going to make it here today, and we're glad to hear you're not... Don't have COVID, just a winter cold or the flu or something like that. So how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't feeling great uh, up until about midday today. Uh, luckily, yeah, I've done a few COVID tests and it's all come back negative. Uh, so hopefully I'll be better and you know, all good soon enough. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like canceling everything out here. All the football games, not all of them, but there's three football games that got canceled this weekend uh, because just the COVID's been breaking out. Um, speaking of someone who works a hell of a lot and who has, I mean, has done a lot for the group, but unfortunately has a job where I guess you, you have to build projects by the end of the year. And um, you've uh, they've asked oh, 45 hours worth of work for him in the last three days. Uh, Darren, how are you feeling today, babes? tired <laughs> um, no it's 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 basically i work at a really small company um and we had a big project to get done by the end of well by christmas um so the last eight weeks have been pretty hectic but the last month or so has been mad absolutely mad uh, yeah it's all good <laughs> are you close are you gonna get it done before christmas <laughs> ask me that in the new year <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, well, hey, thanks for making it here today. Um, before we get to our guests, I just wanted to bring up with both you guys. Um, now, I know you're going to say that you've come out with a really nice manual that explains everything. You wrote this a couple months ago, all the new changes that I now 4.0. But one of the things I get, I was out flying with Rich yesterday, and he's like, I'm just getting comfortable now with the whole idea. I should be really switching my planes over to I now 3.0. Now we got INAV 4.0. So is um, there are some things that I saw in there that struck my attention, like the black box improvements for H43 and um, soaring. But is there anything that you would really say, like here is the main difference? Or first of all, if you if you have INAV 3.0 on a plane, and you're happy with it. Is there really anything there? If you don't see on, something that jumps out at you that would make people want to think about flashing the INAV 4.0? Um, uh, look, yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple of nice things. There's not really so many big changes, apart from if you're a waypoint mission guy, there's loads of stuff been adding, added for waypoints. Um, that's one of my really weak points. I don't really fly waypoint missions, but there's an absolute ton of stuff for waypoints. Uh, but also there's just some things in the configurator that make things easier to use, like there's the uh, 
units conversion on the advanced tuning page and the modes page is a lot, lot easier to understand now. So when you flick a switch, you actually get some feedback. There's an indicator so you know when macro mode is active. So there's just some nicer, easier to use functionality in there as well. Um, but yeah, there's, there's there are plenty of things that could make people switch over. So Mark, um, one of the things I was wondering about is, I was putting the slideshow together, I started looking through all of the different versions of iNav that we've come up with, all the stable releases. Since um, December 18th of 2018, which was you know, three years ago yesterday, we've had 32 different stable releases come out and 16 of them came out in 2019, I mean, there were just a lot of 2 .1, 2 .2, 2 .2 .1. Um, you know, it, it was two, it was 2.2.1, 2.2.2 and 2.2.3 within three days of each other. So um, there, what it appears to me is that there were a lot of like minor changes that were constantly happening and then they switched it over to about twice a year but when thanks to COVID, a lot of the programmers were at home and they, we all got together and came up with some really neat ideas as far as some of the things that like what Andrew Newton had a problem with this plane, got us to rethink about how we address PIDs, uh, rates in the group. Um, and so INAV 3.0 was the big one, but um, it was what we're seeing right now with INAV 4.0. Is this really, it's like a, it's more like a point one upgrade, right? It's kind of like what we'll be seeing more in the future, which are continuous minor changes. Yeah, I think the uh, as far as I understand that the uh, naming change or the the naming scheme was just changed for the versioning. So uh, everything that uh, breaks compatibility with the older configurator, for example, uh, or with the old configuration, if you transfer something over, this means uh, it's a major upgrade in the future. So uh, from um, Darren wrote a great article on the inafixtreamgroup.com uh, website. So look at that uh, too if you want to have more detailed information about the update and um the major thing that was uh, changed was the uh, osd uh, item list the character list and because that was not compatible between both anymore and you have to reload your osd font uh, after the upgrade to 4.0 that was the reason why uh, the major version bump was done and i think there are also two or three uh, things in the configuration of inav where the naming has changed or the items were removed and um, this if you uh, transfer a complete diff or complete dump uh, from 3.0 to 4.0 this also gives you errors because there are some incompatibilities in the uh, configuration so these are all reasons why there are uh, there's now a 4.0 and future uh, smaller upgrades like with a new added feature that does not break compatibility could be or will be 4.1 and bug fixes will be 4.1.1 for example yeah Darren um yeah I was just going to say that that's uh, a real reason why it's really important now that people use the same configurator version as the firmware version in the past you were supposed to anyway but people sort of got away with not but it's now really important that you stick with the same configurator and firmware. And Mark mentioned the fonts. There was actually an issue posted in GitHub for INAV 3.0.2 saying the fonts are all messed up and it's because they installed the fonts from 4.0 configurator. So it's yeah, just really important that you just stick with the same versions for both parts of INAV now. 
one of the things I also want to address was the the notion that um, when do you, should you upgrade your versions of iNav? You're not if you're happy with iNav 3.0, for example, and it's flying great. There's really no reason if you don't see anything that jumps out at you, such as the waypoint missions or one of the other things that we listed, to jump into iNav 4.0. But um, one thing I was thinking is that if you're running iNav, anything lower than iNav 2.6 right now, you really should think about upgrading to iNav 4.0. Um, and, but Mark's point was that if you're flying something that's like a little park flyer, a little ripper, and you're happy with iNav 2.21 or whatever it is you're flying with, you just, and it works for you, you might as well stick with it. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, if you have a plane uh, where you don't uh, rely on navigation stuff and uh, position hold, return to or return to home, of course, should still work. Uh, but it worked in the past too, just to get the plane back uh, close to you uh, and circle above you. So if your plane flies and you are not interested in all the new features and uh, the new autotune, for example, and you are totally happy, I think there is no reason to absolutely uh, or there's no reason to upgrade actually so just stick with it if you like your plane how it is if you just want to try it there are some changes that change the flight behavior even on the same pits i think something in the uh um in the um um, um, um i forgot the name i'm not, um this new rate system, uh, Darren, maybe you can help me out here, um, that was ported from Emu Flight. I'm not sure oh, if that is yeah, also yeah. active on wings, but for copters, for example, this is really helpful to get a more smooth stick feeling. Yes, control something or whatever, isn't it? Yeah, I forgot. I have to ask Pavel if uh, this also applies for planes, actually. Uh, but yeah, basically, if you are happy, then stick with what you have. If you think it can be uh, better, then you should really upgrade. Start with the default pits, not with the default firmware pits. That's really, really important. Do not use the reset pits uh, button uh, on fixed rings in the INAV configurator because this will set the pits back to uh, firmware defaults and not to the wing preset. Um, I will make a separate video on this and I think we will also add that to the uh, website how you actually can reset your pit configuration in 4.0 to uh, get the right default loaded. This is a really important thing because if you load the default pits, uh, these will be pits for uh, multi rotors and uh, of course also rates for multi rotors. And I don't think that any plane I know of has 200 degrees pitch rate. <laughs> it's very likely that the plane freaks out after that. Okay, awesome. Well, that's good to know. All right, so there you have it. If I know 4.0 is out, um, I've ran it on a couple planes. I've been running the release candidates on a couple planes and it's been flying great. I put one fresh today, ran the default, took it out for a flight. It's a plane that never really flew well before. It flew great, so I'm very happy with it. I now is just <clears throat> it continues to get better and better, so fantastic. Um, we're going to get into the guests now, so let's get to the guy we have not seen in a while. We, the last time we saw him was a year ago. I think it was this time last year, as a matter of fact, uh, for our Christmas show, our, our anniversary show, as we call it. Um, Adam, how are you doing today, babes? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. And yeah, it was exactly a year ago, so uh, 
It just seems to be my slot, doesn't it? The Christmas one. <laughs> regular guest now on the anniversary. You're like a younger Saint Nick with a lot of grey beard. <laughs> I'm the one Brit as well that doesn't actually live in Britain at the moment, so I, I live in Ireland. So. Yeah, but you are originally British, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm uh, from Birmingham originally. And Birmingham. last time we spoke, you mentioned that you had an American wife, and uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because we had uh, we didn't talk about it in the show, but afterwards you mentioned it was like. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That was something like, <laughs> yeah. you know, th that freaks out people. I'm from the United States. I mean, we live all that stuff. And after coming back from a bike ride, I'm hungry after about an hour. That's, I, I crave peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But it absolutely makes people sick in, in the UK and other parts in Germany and other parts of the world. But that's just a very much an American thing. And so that was probably one of the things you had to get used to with a wife who's like, we grew up with this stuff. I mean, that was, we had lunches every day and our school lunches were this stuff, so. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I did think it sounded pretty nasty. Um, <laughs> and uh, my wife started making it for the kids and I'd be thinking, oh God, what are they eating? Uh, and then, you know, one day, I think I just picked it up not knowing what it was and I tried it because I was hungry and I thought, oh, this actually tastes pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to admit it at first, but, you know, I had to eventually because I kept pinching it. So, yeah, I'll give you that one. Yeah, I'm still looking for the cola beer. So that one, uh, that's you now supposedly you have to get the right combination. I had to go get an actual cola beer. So Mark, say something. He's holding it up. What is that? It's a, this it's is a cola and beer together. It's a, it's a German thing. So that was... Yeah. Uh, 60% beer and 40% uh, Coke. That's what I usually drink in the evening when I want to have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a normal thing in Germany, is it? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Or, or, or Radler. Uh, Radler, how we call it, uh, with beer and lemon. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's like... Yeah, so that's like uh, our thing is peanut butter and jelly. Germans have cold beer. Was it Norwegians with a Ludfisk? Um which is, uh, I've, I've, I've heard about it and never tried that before. Um, but the British, uh, you guys have the famous for ales and um, bangers and mash and uh, some other things. <laughs> that sounds like uh, from an American perspective, I'd say. <laughs> the, 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 what was that blood pudding that it was blood that from the cow, you make a pudding out of it? Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. we don't have that here. So it's just kind of oh, like. We don't really have that here either. <laughs> it just kind of turns up on breakfast plates and then everyone leaves it. But <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, anyway, so in the last year, you've been, uh, you've been taking on some new planes. So which ones have you tried over the last year? Yeah, it was kind of a, it's been a bit of a weird year, really. I'm, I, um, I started the year with the AR Pro and kind of crashed that on its maiden. Oh. Uh, and then uh, I had the Drac, which flew really well on the Maiden, and then I crashed that the next day. <laughs> and then the next plane was the uh, Spitfire, and um, yeah, that didn't have a very good Maiden either. It's uh, it, The canopy fell off, basically. Uh, I've got a video that's about to come out in the next couple of days on that. And uh, that ended up in nearly a crash as well. So yeah, it was a bit of a weird start to the year, because I'm not really used to crashing things, and that was all I was doing at the start of the year. So uh, yeah, the AR Pro, the Drac, and the Spitfire were the main ones this year for me. So AR Pro, what, the, what are your thoughts on the AR Pro? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, and I can see why it's such a popular wing. And it was actually that video that I did on the AR Pro, it was my most popular video of the whole year, which 
and it shows you that it really is uh, a much lighter wing out there. Wasn't that the wasn't wasn't that the auto launch failure where it stayed in idle throttle and yes. threw a picture? I remember that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I yeah. It was one of those moments where it was a strange day. I got so much new gear. It was not just uh, the AR Pro. I also got, I was using Crossfire for the first time. I was using a different transmitter for the first time. And yeah, I kept it and nothing was responding. And uh, yeah, it was all just because it didn't detect that uh, throw. And it ended up kind of doing a bit of a circle. And then you I, have got a... Go ahead. I got it to fail safe. And uh, yeah, it just ended up in a tree. Oh, it actually survived really well, to be fair to it. it. It survived a lot better than I thought because uh, when I saw it go in on the goggles, I just thought, yeah, that's going in the bin. But no, it was actually, uh, it did pretty well. And I did enjoy flying it. But um, for me, I, I tend to try and limit my model collection. And if I've got something else that does something similar and maybe better, then I'll kind of move it on. And for me, <clears throat> as you probably know from the previous show, my Zedcon just for me is just the ultimate wing, the ultimate Delta wing. And it just does it all. Uh, so yeah, for me the AR Pro didn't really get too much use because the Zedcon was always my favourite. So I moved that one on. Hmm. Yeah, something about brand new foam also. When you look at it, you get to the field and there's sunlights on it and the foam is shining, and you're like, you're about to take off and you're like, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> but you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so you got rid of that plane. It's I don't know the Air Pro. It, it had like a lot of enthusiasm behind it. But it seems like to be like the plane that people have kind of forgotten about as the year goes on. It was the most popular plane of 2021, but it had just come out. So I wonder how it would fare now, you know, now that people have had a year to play with it. I think it will still carry on being popular because it's just such an easy plane to just pick up and go with. I, I, I'm, some people probably disagree, but I think it's a pretty good first wing. Um, a lot of people would say the AR900 may be better, but I think the AR Pro is actually quite a decent first wing. Just so easy to put together, and it's just all designed uh, with FPV in mind. So it's really, you know, you don't have to go dig out foam, and there's no kind of putting spars in and cutting and gluing. It's just, it's just really easy to get going pretty quickly without too much hassle. What do you think, and Mark? It flies well. It flies well. It does. Mark has the Air Pro as well, so he was big on it. Are you still flying that plane? Yeah, I'm still flying it. Uh, I have to do some repairs because after the uh, crash landing when I visited uh, a friend a few, uh, two months ago, um, yeah, I, I had a pretty hard crash um, and I found that the elevons are both cracked. And uh, I fixed the temporary with uh, Gorilla Glue, I think, uh, because with Gorilla Glue you can uh, get a pretty much flexible hinge, but that came loose again, so um, I have to find these nylon hinges uh, and to replace them. But I think what I will do at the end is uh, I will just get a new, completely new fuselage, just the kit, and uh, transplant everything over. But I will definitely keep it because I really love the plane. Perfect. I'd love to hear that. Okay, so. You're, it's a it's a good plane. You like it, but Adam, but you don't really. It, it didn't like you. You're you're as was it three the Zcon or you had yeah uh, was a better choice for you. So what was the next yeah. plane that you had the, besides the, the, the Spitfire? The next one that I had the Drac. Yeah, yeah. That's, which that's the, the full the, size Drac. It's the full size Drac, and it's actually my second one. So um, I used to have one a while back, and um, I uh, I had the right wing motor on it and it just kept getting smoked uh, and 
I don't know why. And Chris couldn't work it out. I hadn't done anything weird. Um, and then it got to the point where um, I hadn't really got any good places to fly it. So I sold it on. And then, yeah, year or so on, I thought I, I saw them about again. I was, they caught my eye and I thought I just got to have another one and give it another go. There seem to be better options out there for motors these days with the badass range and with the KO motors on the market now. Um, and yeah, they've made it a lot more enjoyable to fly. So I've really enjoyed that one. I started off with a fairly basic setup uh, and then I tried the KO motor on that last flight, which was, as I said, it was pulling 208 amps on launch. And uh, I saw a, a top speed of 263 kilometers an hour or 163 miles an hour. Uh, and that was just on the first flight. So uh, I expect I will get better speed out of that when uh, I get some better lipos in it, to be honest with you, because uh, I think the lipos I'm using were struggling with that, those kind of amps. But that plane is, I have not seen one in person until I, I went over to uh, Drones and Hobbies before they closed down and they had one, well, they're, they closed down their retail store. They still are in business, um, but they had one sitting there. And I mean, you cannot possibly explain to people how big this thing is. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like it's quite an intimidating wing. <laughs> Trying launching these things. I mean, some people think it's really easy for me. I. I've always hated launching the Drac. It's just, it's uh, an awkward shape and it's, it's big and scary. <laughs> it's big and scary. It has a huge motor yeah. in the back of it and yeah. it's just a huge wing. You have to launch with both hands. Yeah, big 12. So you have to do an auto back. launch or have someone help you launch it, right? Yeah, I, I just, I auto launch mine by myself. Um, I, I'm sure most people have seen my incident where I, uh, on my second day of flying it, I decided to uh, auto launch it and then turn around and kick the transmitter across the floor. That didn't end too well. Uh, so the uh, the drag was, uh, it was an absolute mess. Uh, I, it amazes me now when I look back at the pictures of what it looked like after that crash and what it looks like now, because you can hardly tell now. How much, what's the all up weight in that plane, the full size drag? Sorry, say again? The all up weight, how much does it weigh? Um, it's, if you do kilograms, it's around 4.3 kilograms. Jeez, that's almost like 10 pounds. Which is, yeah, it's quite a lot <laughs> to be throwing that thing. Uh, I just find it awkward to hold and throw. So it's not, yeah, it's, it's a bit scary because of weight. It, it, obviously, because it's got so much power, the second the throttle kicks in, it does go really weightless. But when you stood there holding it without the prop spinning, you think, <laughs> oh, I can't believe I've got to try and throw this thing. Um, yeah. And I think and there's, there's, there's a big cliff and you throw it over and you hopefully you get started, right? Yeah. But, it, but, but then there's people who make it look easy and he does it in manual with his big hands. He just sticks it up in the air off it goes. But, <laughs> but I think uh, that's, the, that's the point on, on these planes, especially on the drags. Uh, you really need a thrust to weight ratio greater than one just to launch it. It, 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 it will be impossible to launch otherwise because uh, if you have a lower thrust to weight ratio, you have to throw it flat, but then uh, it won't build up enough speed in time uh, to stay airborne. So that's the only way to go. Yeah, it's been a funny one for me as well because I've not really had it running reliably for a long period of time yet. I've been changing setups. I had an issue with the ESC, the badass ESCs, um, where if you uh, if you throttle down to zero and then you go back up, but you do it quite quickly, um, it actually cuts the throttle. Uh, you lose the throttle until you go back down to zero and back up again. But I didn't know this was how to fix it the first few times. So I'm flying along and if I went touched zero throttle for a, a moment and went back up, that would be it, there would be no throttle. 
So I ended up having to glide it and ditch it in a field somewhere. And uh, it turned out when I contacted Badass that that is actually, they could replicate it. So all of them do it. Um, but it's a strange one because obviously not, not many people have come across it. But for some reason in my flying style, I have. And I think the first time it happened was when I was trying to fly formation. And you know when you're flying formation, sometimes you're kind of adjusting the throttle quite a lot, trying to get it right to stay right behind someone. And if you just touch zero for a second when you're just trying to back off, yeah, I was losing the motor. Jeez. So that's why you need 200 amps to take off because he, it, it's, and I was just mentioning that 200 amps is pretty much what we have on our panels for our houses, but you know, <laughs> um, for that, but we're running 110 or 220, depending on where you live. Um, man, that is, that's a killer plane. And then the Spitfire you mentioned, so that's a scale plane. Yeah, it's a, that's a 1200 mil wingspan. It's just the Dynam one. And, uh, it's, the Spitfire has always been one of my favorite planes. Um, I'm sure many British people uh, probably say the same thing. Um, but I've always I'm wanted to, to I've, I've got my, I actually learned to fly with a Spitfire, three, three channel Spitfire, like a park flyer. Uh, and I've always fancied uh, doing an FPV conversion on one. I don't know why it's taken me so long to get around to doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I finally uh, did it and uh, it's, it's actually been really good fun. I was actually flying it uh, a couple of days ago uh, and in the mountains and it really is good fun to fly. The, being in the cockpit and the head tracking, it's just oh, yeah, yeah. It's a fun experience. It's amazing. So, how long? What kind of flight times are you getting out of that? Uh, about twenty minutes, twenty-five that's minutes. Pretty good. Yeah. But I, yeah, that and that's with a lipo. It's um, five amp hour lipo for us. Uh, it, yeah, it's that's about right for me. I'm I'm not one of these people that likes to be up in the air for too long anyway. I I don't do cruise troll, <laughs> so uh, I'd probably get a bit longer if I really wanted to. I. Uh, I just like to get around places a bit quicker. So, so the, lipo is industry, the lipo is industry standard, how Matt would uh, say it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've actually got a video on that. Um, I've just put a video together on the build of that Spitfire and uh, the flying in the mountains. And yeah, that'll be, I'll post that on the next few days. So you like moving around more than that casual FPV, relaxed FPV, you were like moving around. As Mark was saying, you like flying five miles away and about five feet off the ground. Yeah, that's yeah. I, my favorite kind of flying is just being close to the ground, really. I, I don't really do much high altitude stuff. And if you can find a decent landscape with a bit of mountain, and if you've seen my channel, I was trying to find a good river to follow. I don't know, there's just something about it that I, I find a lot of fun. Uh, and the, the mini Talon video um, was my last one with really trying to push it to the limit, really. And uh, that was. I'm not going to lie, it was pretty scary at times. I thought I was going to lose it. Um, but I, I went into it being prepared that I would lose my mini talent. So the fact that I didn't this year is uh, kind of a bit of a surprise and a bonus. Okay, so mini talent. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that because there's a couple different mini talents out there. So there's the new uh, the mini talent pro that you just got. Mm. Well, the, I, would, I would refer to the mini talent. That's the kind of standard one. And then the, the new version is the talent pro, which yeah, I, I've got it. It's actually, you can see it just up here, hanging on the wall. Okay, uh, so you, like you've had both planes. What do you think of both of them? Um, the Mini Talon, I really liked. Uh, I think that my build on it wasn't the best. I made it a bit heavy. I used some thick laminate and I painted the whole thing. Uh, it looked pretty cool, but um, it, it ended up being quite a heavy build. Uh, so, yeah, mine probably didn't fly quite as well as maybe some of them out there. But I enjoyed flying it and uh, it just got to the point where 
it just got a bit rough and battered over time. So I, I, I converted that into what I would call my high risk plane. Uh, so I kind of put the, the cheaper flight controller in it and basically all the parts in it that I wouldn't be upset about if they ended up in a river or, yeah, smashed up basically. So that's a plane that the Mini Talon, the original Mini Talon, not the Pro, um, Talon Pro, but the Mini Talon is like a $60 plane. And yeah. it is one of those planes that if you buy the kit, they put a motor on there, it's just way too heavy for the plane. And so it makes you end up, a lot of people overbuild that plane and put too much stuff on it. And there's one guy who's in Las Vegas who's like the king of that plane as far as uh, he's I'm flying with autopilot now and he's he's turned it over to a VTOL plane. But um, it's just like he has on his page, he has tons and tons of uh, 3D printed parts you could download. Mark and, V, is it something like that? Mark V, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've got some of his parts. I had some of the parts that uh, he designed on my Mini Talon as well. I think everyone who's had a Mini Talon probably knows of that guy because if you're searching for parts for it to 3D print, you'd have come across him. Yeah. But like as you as you say, it's, it's it's probably one of the cheaper airframes out there. Right. Uh, I think everyone just thinks it's just a great all rounder, which is why so many people have got one or had one or plan to have one. The way I, I mean, I, I I I'm I'm with Darren. We have them in boxes. Darren's actually started to build his, but um, we've. Uh, it seems like I've seen one. Uh, Rich Adams has one. I looked at it. And the fuselage looks so small in it. It's just so cramped that it's. Uh, I know it, we're in the era now where every you know we have micro flight controllers and everything else like that. But I'm looking at it and I hear it's just amazing plane to fly. But it's just maybe uh, a lot of people do a long range FPV with it. I guess is because it is cheap and you can throw cheap gear in there and you can have fun with it and fly it like you stole it type of thing. And they do fly well, so you know it's just a win-win really. Yeah that go in it you can get small motors that don't cost a lot of money and it'll run really well um and because it is so cheap that's why i was willing to you know use it as a high risk model because well if i smash it up and i really like it i can just get another one for next to nothing although it does seem like they're a bit rare at the moment um i've not seen them for sale anywhere uh and if they are for sale they're quite expensive at the moment so i don't know if they're struggling with stock or if they're stopping making them i don't know if anyone knows Got mine a few months ago when they had a sale. I think I pinched the last one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a get. It's like thirty quid. It's that's what I got. I got one in a box and I'm building one now. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, what I've seen of them, they're great planes. My first FPV flight was in a Mini Talon. So, yeah, I'm looking you forward to really, it. You must have a really big build bench there, Darren, because I think you're building one of every aircraft I know of. <laughs> this is my build bench. <laughs> it's tiny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just have it all littered over the other side of the room, sort of balanced on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. Darren has enough time to build in the evenings, but not enough time really to fly on the weekends, unfortunately. And I guess the weather doesn't really cooperate this time of year in the UK that much. Uh, you, get, you get the odd days, don't you? It's It's been pretty nice the last few days in Ireland, and I'm pretty sure the UK gets almost identical weather to uh, to me over here in Ireland. So, Yeah, it, it was probably flyable today, um, but I just didn't have the time today. Yeah, yeah, I was out today. It was um, We were kind of fighting, trying to find spots where it wasn't foggy, but yeah, it was good. But yeah, with the, with the Mint Talent well, anyway, I, um, I did end up wrecking that. And uh, I had a Talon Pro sat in a box in my attic for, a, for quite a while, actually, because I just thought when I do wreck the Mini Talon, because that will happen, 
just I just transplanted all the electronics straight into the Talent Pro, so I just moved everything over. I uh, didn't do anything fancy. I used a different FPV camera, but apart from that, it was all the same. Okay, so the Talon Pro, my gripe number one is that you have a mini Talon, which is a $60 plane, and then you have the Talon Pro, which is a $159 to $169 plane. Yeah, that, that's kind of weird because I'm pretty sure I got mine for somewhere between $80 and $100. Yeah. But I have had mine. Was that the kit or was that the actual with motor and everything? Just the kit. Wow. Yeah. So it's a bit more expensive. Um, but yeah, I grabbed one a little while back just thinking I'll give it a go when my mini talent dies. And uh, yeah, and built that over a few days recently and got it made in a few days ago. Okay, cool. The thing was the size of that thing. Because Adam posted a picture up where he had, uh, I can't remember what else it was. It was a mini crosswind, the Talon Pro and something else. And I was looking at that picture Albert, thinking, yeah. yeah, the Alvabird, that was it. But I was looking at the picture thinking, I don't, you know, that, the crosswind looks weird. It shouldn't have a V-tail. <laughs> so I thought that the, the Talon Pro is so big, I thought it was the crosswind. It's, yeah. yeah. I feel like that picture was a bit of an optical illusion in a way. It didn't look like it represented the actual size, but the Talon Pro, obviously, it is a bit bigger. Um, annoyingly for me personally, because my mini Talon fit in the boot of my car in one piece, and the Talon Pro is probably about two centimetres too long in wingspan to fit in my boot now, so that's a little bit annoying. Hmm. But yeah, it is a bit bigger. It's I think it's a 13, 1400 mil, 1400 mil wingspan, and the mini Talon was a 1300. That's a good wing size, 1400 millimeter. Yeah, yeah. nice size. It's no, the, the, the fuselage is um, huge. They might actually be the same length wings, to be honest with you, as the Mini Talon, but it's because the fuselage is so wide in comparison to the Mini Talon that it gives it that extra wingspan. Yeah, that looks like, and that looks like it's wonderful for putting your gear in there. You can put it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I put um, 14,000, uh, and that was a 4S4P. And it's just rattling around in there. Whereas, and that's two, that's two uh, lithium ion packs next to each other in parallel. Whereas in my mini Talon, I could just fit the one of them in. And this one fits two with just tons of space around it. And then there's the extra bay at the back for all the electronics. And that is, you know, that's huge as well. There's just so much space to work with inside it compared to the mini Talon. It, yeah, it's, I was quite shocked actually at the difference. Yeah, the uh, Mini Talon, uh, in my opinion, is a, is a complete disaster uh, in case of room you have to uh, to build on. I mean, it's 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 a huge plane, but mm. uh, if you put electronics or just if you put a battery in there, it feels I have to squeeze a battery in like on my drift with a fuselage that wide because yeah. the op the opening is so small and the fuselage mm. is so deep. You have to. Uh, I have really trouble to get the uh, to get the Velcro around the battery. It, it, it's really hard to do uh, because it's so narrow in the opening and so deep uh, uh, deep down where the battery sits. I think that's one of the problems is the access to it and dwell inside. The access is just pretty difficult. I've seen people that have actually cut the front open and made the canopy open up so that they can put their batteries in there, but there's some of these people that are putting the loading up with lithium ion and flying it 300 kilometers in one flight. Yeah, there's something that you brought up as far as it's being cheap enough so that you can fly it and you can do take risks with it and things like mm -hmm. that so what kind of gear do you have in there um i had uh matek f405 
uh, wing flight controller, the one of the old ones that I just put in. I had lying around, which is a used one. I've got one of the BN220 GPS. Uh, and then what I did was I took my DJI Osmo Action camera off it and I put the Runcam 2 in and put an aero nose on it, just a 3D printed Mark QV, QV thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then um, I think I just used an older FPV camera that I had lying around one of the Fox ears. Uh, and an old Partum VTX. I don't really use the Partum VTXs much anymore. I've switched over to the uh, the Mavatic ones. I prefer them. Well, that's one of the things I was thinking. I mean, you also brought up DJI. So when you have, uh, what is a DJI with the VTX and the camera? It's about 150 bucks. Yeah, yeah. I think they're uh, maybe a bit more than that even. Right. So the problem that you're one of the few guys I actually heard who actually built uh, uh, an analog plane after building a DJI plane. Yeah, um, I actually, to be honest with you, I haven't properly built a DJI plane yet. So I did buy the DJI goggles earlier on in the year and we've, I got them with one air unit. And what I did was I temporarily bolted on the air unit to my mini Talon. And uh, yeah, I took it out of the mini Talon a few times um around my usual flying spot and yeah i kind of uh, i kind of enjoyed it um but i really need to put it on a plane and give it a proper chance to be honest with you yeah it's not going to replace analog for me that's for sure i'll say that straight away just to clarify things steve uh, adam was talking about dji osmo action cam not dji uh oh, yeah uh, fpv system okay the fpv system but it does bring up the point, which is, um, I think we'll get this in the second hour, which is analog versus digital. I want to have Rory in on the conversation as well on it. Um, um, my personal belief is that I don't want to find ways to make my planes more expensive. They're already expensive enough. So, but uh, anyway, that sounds great. And the one other thing you mentioned was the fun jet. And of course, I can bring up the fun jet as soon as Luke walks out of the room, because Luke, Loves to take all. He's coming back. Here he comes. <laughs> he heard the word fun jet. So, yeah. Sorry, I missed that. I, I did hear fun jet. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, and also Luke <laughs> and fun jet together. Um, <laughs> so you're you you built yourself a mild little success fun jet for this year. Um, no, it's actually um, I've just been collecting all the parts, and uh, just I had trouble getting the servos. They kept getting lost in the post. So I finally got all the parts to build it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just waiting here on, on my bench. Is that um, going to be FPV or is that just line of sight? Yes, it's going to be FPV and it's going to be, it's going to be analog and it's going to be 5.8, uh, which is, you know, I don't do very often just because of component size really on such a small plane um, because I want it to be nice and quick and I want it to be quite aero. I'm burying the 5.8 antenna in the uh, wing. There's not really, with 1.2, you can't really put it on that plane without causing drag. So. Yeah, I mean, making sure everything's really sleek and buried in it. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a it's going to be a success. It's not going to be anything you know major. It's not going to be uh, competing with uh, Rupert White or anything like that. But uh, he's been helping me with the setup, and uh, it's one of his favourite reliable. I, so I I don't know much about the fungi other than I think the only existence for that is to see how fast you can make that thing fly. I think a lot of people out there do actually quite. Uh, quite enjoy flying them for long range and just kind of flying around slowly to be honest with you i say slowly just not going around at 200 miles an hour uh, all the time but yeah some people build them for speed some bit some people build them for cruising around yeah and so luke what was the fastest fun jet you put together uh 
fast one I've put together went 260 miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> that, that's nothing compared to what Rupert White has done with his. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, not even really worth worthy of an honourable mention, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I've got one... Actually, no, it's not worth getting down. Uh, it's quite a few other planes. But that's just set... Uh, I've got another one that's set up with just a... 2205 mini quad motor like one of the old ones and that's just for doing slow speed aerobatics only weighs about 500 grams you know perfect for that kind of thing so you know it's quite a versatile plane fantastic and darren have you ever played with because i know darren likes to burn out motors that's his favorite thing in the world uh, <laughs> have you ever put a fun jet together is there one sitting up there somewhere in the rafters there is one sat up on my shelf um which i've got a got a motor for it's going to be very mild though it's only a 4s okay. um there was another henrik um i can't remember his surname but he's he had the world sort of gps record for a little while took it from rupert um with his fun jet and it's basically i'm going to mimic one of his earlier setups where he just had it on 4s but that was still getting close to 200 miles an hour mm. so that they are brilliant brilliant planes i can't mm. wait to have a, have a go but yeah luke's i've not actually seen fly yet <laughs> they always seem to have a impactful launch <laughs> you've seen it fly once you saw it fly once i haven't i've only in a video were you not there when it did uh, a couple passes? Oh, yeah, that's, sorry. Yeah, your video went out, didn't it? So you yeah, video, it. video yeah. went out while I was flying it. Yeah, it, uh, then it reached, I think, 210 miles an hour. Yeah, not not too terrible. Uh, <laughs> Before it hit the ground. Yeah. I know that one was fine. It was usually failed launches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that flight was fine, uh, landed safe. Then I did uh, three failed launches. Uh, you guys say something. Yeah, yeah, say something. No, I was going to say, this is actually the motor that Henrik was using when he got that world record of around 440. Oh, so wow. this this is one of the motors that I've got for my fun jet, but I'm not going to run this one to start with. I'm going to run the uh, the other one that Rupert recommends as a, a really good all-rounder. It's going to be super fast and you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. He thinks this one basically puts too much stress on all of the components and you'll get one fast pass. Mm. and you've got a good chance of breaking things after a short while so uh maybe on a rainy day this might come out when i if i get bored of the <laughs> original motor but yeah it's a my fun jet is still stored in the kitchen at the moment uh because i have no room here and no time yet to build it so about uh, well okay since we're asking everybody rory have you put a fun jet together uh no i haven't actually i've never had one Okay. Yeah. Are you not into speed? Yeah, I guess so. It's just never a plane that I've happened upon. You know, never had a chance to order one or thought, yeah, I don't want a fun jet. Yeah. It's like they, they have like the real fun jets, the which were those were um, those are the German ones, I guess. And then they have the Chinese knockoffs of that plane. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the, it's, was it, um, yeah, there's a couple of versions, copy one, I think Hobby King do a, a version as well. Yeah, there's, the originals are multiplex, and there's about three different versions of the, there's uh, Funjet, Funjet Ultra, Funjet Ultra 2, and then, yeah, Hobby King brought out, I can't remember what theirs was called, but it was a copy of the original. Um, but yeah, that, that was quite a hot setup for a Hobby King plane from, from out of the box. Yeah, the Ultra 2 is the one I have. Got that from Germany. They're about eighty euro delivered, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, yeah, probably more here in the States. Um, so when we spoke last year, Adam, you were really hot and heavy on the Alba Bird. Oh. And you just crashed and you, you said bought a new one now? No, I, I, this is my first Alba Bird. I haven't oh, your first one? Yet. one? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, of Josh. <laughs> yes, Josh, he's had, I think Josh has crashed quite a few of them. And uh, yeah, he loves it. Obviously, he just keeps buying them again and again. God. Okay. So, what do you think of the Alba Bird? Um, so far, I don't know. I just hear so many people say it's such a great little plane um, that I just decided to give it a go. Um, I, um, I'm putting, as I said, I'm putting DJI on it. It's going to be my first proper HD build for DJI. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give the DJI system a, a proper chance using that plane. But I'm also, um, I'm designing this as kind of like a, a setup that'll be really portable so that I could take it on holiday. So the Alba Bird, you can get an optional uh, bit of kit that allows the um, fuselage to kind of break apart in half. Yeah. And then it comes with connectors on the wings, like the mini crosswind. So the wings can come off, the fuselage comes in half. And then with the DJI goggles and no ground station, it'd just be an ideal plane to be able to take away on holiday to somewhere like Spain, if you get the chance. Um, so yeah, that's the plan for that one. And yeah, I'm, I'm expecting good things from it because everybody loves it. And uh, I'd be very surprised if I didn't like it. When the reason I bought it since a year ago, um, what has changed is there been about three or four different versions of this plane have come out. So you've got the Dragon 2, which the Dragon was a twin already, but the 2 is they switch it over to a traditional tail or a B-tail in the same box. So you have your choice of different tails. And then you had... Um, something the killer whale which was also um kind of like that was more set up for like having a gopro on the front it has a square front to the plane and yeah. it came out and that was just from adam rc so a lot of people really loved the whole idea of the uh, dolphin and they were kind of expecting the killer whale to be something as fun as the dolphin and it was didn't really sell well then they put it on sale and everyone bought it um recently so it's had kind of like a second life and a lot of people they really tend to like that plane a lot now not yeah. quite as popular as the as the uh, dolphin though um so you had all these different options available to you why did you select the uh alba bird i think i went for the alba bird just because so many people have said such good things about it it's one of the models i've heard people raving the most about so I thought, I've just got to give it a try and see what all the uh, hype is about, really. Uh, yeah, there was the Dragon was about. I was close to getting one of those at one point. Uh, and yeah, I just decided to go with the Alba just because it had such great reviews from people. And yeah, Josh was always at me saying, yeah, you've got to get one of these. Got to get one of these Alba birds. So, uh, yeah. That's because he wanted to do a group buy, wasn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually did do, uh, I, I bought a couple while I was at it because uh, a friend here that I'm flying with, he, uh, he wanted one as well. So we got... A slight discount, although it was still we we because these things you can only get them from the supplier in China, and they uh, they charged us I think it was ninety US dollars just for shipping, for two of them, and it took exactly two months to arrive, which is just madness. Perfect. Well, we have another guest here today as well, and so I'm going to give uh, Adam a chance to get finished up his first beer. So this is uh, this was originally supposed to be the drinking and loitering show, but people got sick and people got overworked and stuff like that, and I can't have people falling asleep in the show. So 
Um, here to pick up the energy even more is Rory G. Rory, you've been on, God, about eight months ago? Welcome hey, back. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was a little while ago. I don't know if it was that long, was it? Maybe six months ago, something, yeah, something like, that. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. back anyway. <laughs> fantastic. So what have you been up to in the second half of the year? You had the whole summer to get out and flying and... Yeah, yeah, we went out and got uh, some really good flights in, uh, been picked up the HD Zero system, been playing around with that, um, new cameras, all that kind of thing, um, uh, building that monster behind me. Um, Are you still working thing. on that? You were like oh, showing that. Oh man, that's going to take forever. That thing is—it's just immense. It's. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to say I think on the last uh, ring talk where when you, when you attended, then uh, there was just a skeleton basically, and at least there is some progress visible. <laughs> yeah, you can you can kind of see it's got wheels on it now, and and kind of you know on its own kind of feet as it were, and engine cowling and all this kind of stuff and the top decks on the back and things like that and the, the tails on well mostly um some wings are built i need to do two more wings for that so um yeah it's a long road yeah so you mentioned the word open hd and so i wanted to have you be like the spokesman last time you were here you were kind of like the spokesman for fr sky and <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll get into that a little bit later because you got some new fr sky, sky toys um, yeah yeah, yeah, I love that stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, but Open HD. So we were HD watching. Zero, you mean? Huh? HD, HD zero. zero. Zero HD. I'm sorry. Zero HD. Oh uh, we had Powell was talking on his iNav 4.0 release yesterday, and I, you know, I was out flying. I came back and caught the last half of it, and so he he starts talking about about a year ago probably sometime during the year he switched over to the dgi um and he said his comments were and mark and was there i don't think darren was there but mark was there you can catch me if i'm wrong but basically his comments were that shark bite is not really going to work out and it's he had his reasons for why it's not going to work out and then he said that um um the open hd he said, like, they came out with a new camera and it sold out so quickly and, you know, they're not making enough of it. No one wants to invest in it. This is not really serious. Nobody wants to put a Raspberry Pi together. Um, so the only thing that's real that's going to be around for long term is going to be DJI. So that kind of paraphrased what he said. Mark, did I get that right? Um, yes and no, <laughs> but uh, we, we are still talking about HD Zero, uh, just, uh, was just uh, mixed up a little bit, yeah, Darren just made HD Zero, okay, HD Zero, yeah, so, uh, okay. yeah, that's it, so I, 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 can, I can, I can just put some electronics in the camera uh, to yeah, show, to show it. It's, it's laying on my desk here for two months now and still not installed into the plane because the plane is not finished yet. <laughs> and um, But yeah, uh, they uh, made a, made an agreement with uh, Runcam as far as I understand it. Um, and uh, Runcam should produce some of the new cameras. Um, one camp said, ah, no, we will do it, but they, we don't think that we will sell a lot of them. So we will only make a first batch of 1000 cameras in total. That's also split. And every time they released a new, 
a new sub badge basically they were sold out in minutes or even seconds so yeah it uh, seems to be a little, a little bit more um interest in the community than uh, they initially thought and i think the this uh yeah i would say marketing trick uh, where they basically gave the uh, receiver modules away for 100 euros or 100 dollars uh this really hit the market and a lot of people got one me too so i just got one and then yeah maybe in the future i will i will set up a plane with that just just to have it for a low price and yeah i think a lot of people have it now started to use it the new cameras came out fox here has some great cameras Runcam now uh, also has some if you can get them and uh yeah it's it, it got a lot of tr uh, attention and a lot of traction now so okay so Let's start from scratch here because obviously I'm still learning the word HD zero. Um, the only reason I know about it is we have one guy in the group who wanted to post three videos a week about HD zeros and we had to tell him like, listen, kind of tap it down a little bit. I mean, people want to hear about it, but not so much. Um, he, was, he was posting open HD. <laughs> open, open HD. That was open HD. That's a different story. <laughs> That's why I'm getting all confused. There's HD zero and open HD. Okay. Yeah, so OpenHD open, open is the uh, stuff with the Raspberry Pi and the webcam and a Wi-Fi module that gets modified to output more power and all that stuff. So, and the Linux system and yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's what I'm getting confused at. Okay, that's OpenHD. And I was, I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm hearing about the Raspberry Pi and that's what Powell was talking about was that, right? You talked about both in, in his stream, yeah. Yeah, okay. So OpenHD is, uh, it's an interesting project. It's a DIY kind of thing. And so we're not really gonna talk too much about it other than it's out there and it's still growing. Is it viable right now, do you think? I mean, you from, from, from my point of view, uh, it is interesting, as you say, the, the video quality, if you have a proper camera on it, is really fantastic. You have basically no range limits because uh, it's also a one direction connection as far as I understand that. Um, the problem really is the uh, needed hardware setup. You need a Raspberry Pi on the plane, you need a Raspberry Pi on the ground, you need these Wi-Fi modules for the uh, for the data transmission, uh, you need a dedicated camera, you usually use a standard webcam for that, or a Raspberry camera that's I think there are Raspberry cameras with really good image quality, actually. And uh, this is all a lot of hardware you have to put together. Um, then there is Linux running on it that has to be booted up every time uh, you want to use it. Like you change a battery and then it takes like half a minute or so until the system is booted and you get, uh, you get an actual, actual image and the latency is too high. The latency is just... For long-range stuff, it's fine. Uh, if you have a big plane and you're cruising, like really in 3D cruise mode or so, and you fly long-range, it's totally fine. But like for quads or for planes ripping around and uh, seeing small branches, you want to when you uh, want to go through gaps, it's it's unusable uh, at at this stage. There were some things in, I think, beginning of 2021, where one of the developers posted, uh, uh, I think, was it a crowdfunding uh, thing or so? And uh, they wanted to collect money to develop a dedicated VTX board that does all the stuff uh, in one single board. 
But yeah, we never heard of that again. As, at least I didn't. So you need to have which which Raspberry Pis are we talking about? Are you talking about the full size one or the zeros? For the for, for the ground, uh, it doesn't matter really. You can use the full size one to have a little bit more connection and a little bit more processing power on the downstream. Uh, for the flight unit, you can use the zero, but I think it has to be Raspberry Pi three or so. But the zero one, the 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 very small slim one that works. Well, yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. All right. Perfect. All right. So, all right. So that's kind of work in progress, and we're going to figure out how it goes in the future. Um, what about? Uh, okay. So we're going. We're done talking about that then. And so what you're talking about is HD zero. <laughs> HD, not zero uh, HD or <laughs> yeah, open open HD HD zero. So what? Uh, now, what is this? This is something completely different, right? This is yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a low latency, completely the opposite to OpenHD and um, the the kind of um, DJI as well. It's it's kind of designed to replace analog BTXs in the transmission system. There, it's not designed to go up against you know DJI as so everyone goes. Oh, DJI and and HD zero. Yeah. It's, they're, they're not even the same sort of thing really is they're trying to close the gap but there's it's two different approaches to the same thing so what's different about this as far as the approach i mean obviously it's not it's more open source than or at least a little bit more open than, than the dgi yeah yeah i mean uh, the parent company's kind of kind of like divi math um and it's the hd zero which is the brand and the chips are made by DiviMath and they can be uh, purchased and uh, incorporated into, um, you know, sort of third parties hardware. You know, so if, if if anybody else wanted to make a HD zero kind of style BTX, they could do. They could buy the chips and the license and and develop and market it themselves. So you could have, you know, three or four different brands on the same sort of hardware. Okay, so Mark kind of alluded to already said that they it was um, one camera came out with a module that went on your goggles, so it, you could take your standard analog goggles or something that was better LED like a Sky Zone. Uh, you mean the you mean the receiver unit? Yeah, it's right. That thing kind of sits, that's the original uh, Shark Bite one uh, when it was kind of you know it was going to be a Fat Shark product. Um, but they've uh, kind of, uh, I guess, lost interest in in that, and kind of, as Pavel was saying, you know, kind of not really doing anything these days so much with it. Um, so Carla HD Zero is kind of taking it over. He's got some new stuff in development. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got this thing, which has got two patch antennas in the front here, the white squares. Okay. Uh, it's a own built-in DVR uh, and an H HDMI connected to your goggles. Um, and then obviously it's got two additional antennas mounts on the top for omnis or kind of wide beam crosshairs or patches or whatever you prefer. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the receiver on there. Oh, interesting. All right, so this was originally Shark Bite and then it switched yeah. over to Zero HD. Got it. All right, now it's starting to be a lot more. Yeah, I'm starting to get this more. Um, all right, so. As I understand also, because I have a friend who's playing with uh, this right now, is the VTXs are kind of limited as far as power range 
they haven't come out for the full white yet. Yeah, at the moment you've got the 200 milliwatt Whoop boards, um, which is what Mark held up, um, which is what I've put in my little F1 wing here, which is, as Adam was saying, your kind of sacrificial model, you know, high risk kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but even even that is, you know, fairly respectable. You know, it's kind of you get a better range and things out of the equivalent. You know, analog kind of thing. There's not so much break up and multipathing, especially out altitude and clear air. It's fantastic, um, and it's great for most needs. And then, of course, there's the the. So it's very clear. The, you're saying then, right? It's it's very good. Yeah, and the the uh, the five there's a 500 milliwatt board which is a double stacked board. Uh, they have had some issues with those. Uh, they are they are pretty good and they're obviously higher power and you can you can get you know a fair bit further out with one of those but the one watt board is what everybody's waiting for oh interesting and yeah. so how much are the cameras the just the camera itself without the vtx they're, they're not so much more than a, a decent analog camera really they're kind of around between sort of um, you know, forty and fifty-five dollars. Okay. So but but, but I have to. But but we have to add uh, forty to uh, forty-five to fifty-five dollars. That's pretty much uh, absolute top-notch high-end analog camera in comparison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Of course. So um, I use the um, or I got the Foxier Digicide V2. Uh, that's not the newest anymore. Uh, mm. This is a nano size cam and uh, has pretty decent image. Um, this one was about 49 euros uh, at a German um, German re uh, retailer. The For funny $70. thing, yeah, the, the the nice thing on the Digicide V2 is or V2 is it also has analog output, so I can switch it into analog mode and can basically install two receivers or two VTXs on the plane. Uh, the digital one and an analog one. And then I just switch the camera to analog mode and fly long range uh, with more output power on analog. And then I switch back to digital if I want to stay close range and in HD. That's pretty cool. Yeah, nice touch that. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was kind of lucky enough to get a couple of the um, the run cam. I don't know. You can barely see it. it's a tiny little thing. The the micro, the run cam uh, HD micro. V1s, uh, wow. had a couple of those, and uh, yeah, it's a vast, vast improvement over the the, the previous Nano um, run cam. Um, yeah, that, that wasn't real. Uh, yeah, it's just fantastic, and the, the there's there's whisperings of a V2, um, and there's the new Nano, the um, HD Zero Nano as well, which has got the same sensor as my micro ones but in the nano case with an M8 lens instead of the M12. So how much is the, the VTX, the 200 that's out right now? It's just a VTX 200? Yeah, I think, I think they're kind of like, uh, yeah, 50, $60, something like that. They're not okay. terrible, you know. All right, so you're adding this together, about $100 for a camera and VTX for a plane. It's not as yeah, bad as $154 H for DJI, but it's you're starting to get more reasonable. And with more competition, hopefully that price will come down. Yeah, I think so. You know, there's more, Development will, will continue and other companies maybe pick up the chipset and start developing as well. Then it'll, it'll kind of spread and, and you know, kind of go, 
go along like that. And uh, there's already more options coming along. I mean, HD0, they, they've made instead of the regular little kind of eight centimeter uh, MIPI cable, there's a 250, which is great for that, that little sonic wing because, you know, it takes the camera from the nose and the VTX can go in the root of the wing there and not on top of the battery or inside. You know, it's, um, it's yeah, fantastic. The question I have for you, Rory, is the one that it's the same thing. I've heard this now from every single guy who has a set of DJI goggles, which is I put the DJI goggles on, I put it on one plane, and all of a sudden I had to get rid of all my analog. I can't fly a plane without analog. And you look at it and you let's say you have 10 planes, that's $1,500 you have to come up with right away. So it's one of the things like if I don't want to touch it because I know that I'll be spending $5,000 before I know it, switching out everything. And then maybe a couple of years from now that DJI won't be the thing anymore. And that's one of the main things I'm concerned about is that DJI does not really work that well with the iNav as far as, I mean, it works, but uh, it's not the full OSD screen and I want the full OSD screen. I fly with the numbers. And to me, that's more important than a beautiful picture, but can you get the full OSD screen with the HD zero? Can you also, it, once you have it, can you go back to a regular analog? Yeah, you can You can get the the full OSD, well, almost the full OSD. There's a few things that are still uh, under development and are not quite working yet. The um, An animated artificial horizon is one of them, unfortunately. So you kind of have to rely on um, pitch and roll numbers, maybe pop those at the bottom of the screen or something, just, you know, so if you um, do need any kind of orientation guides, you can you can read off the numbers on the board and you can see what attitude the plane's at with that. But it's almost identical to you kind of your, your run-of-the-mill analog setup on iNav, um, but it just looks crystal clear. Um, wow. is is you know instead of instead of the the kind of the the fuzzy text you see in your goggles on analog is is um really nice crisp rendered text that's 100 percent readable um it's just it's just great you know? yeah. and um and, and your other question going back to analog um if you it depends on your system really i mean if you've got a really bottom end system that's got a bad camera and uh, you know a low range or a low power VTX then yeah you probably wouldn't want to go back but if you've got a you know a, a TBS Pro 32 HB and a Foxeer T-Rex then it wouldn't be a giant leap to go back to that um, and that's that's I don't know if you can see it over my shoulder there on my mini drag that's what's on that and you know it's perfectly acceptable it's nice to fly um but as you were saying it's it's not hd zero <laughs> it's it's not hd and yeah. i've actually just for the first time in a little while uh, taken my fusion module out of my goggles and put it back in the box wow and put put the blanking plate back on the goggles. <laughs> awesome. Mark. Yeah, I think uh what uh the the point of HD0 is basically it it's built to replace analog. 
on the long uh, on the long term i mean uh, as you as you said rory uh, the uh, full osd support is in development it's nearly done a few things are still missing but i think that will come the development is pretty much transparent uh, they communicate what they do they uh, bring regular updates better updates so we see how the progress uh, is going on the usability is nearly the same as on analog so you have your uh, you you turn on your uh, your plane you switch your the same channel on the module and that's it it works you don't have to pair something you don't have to activate something uh, you can watch the video feed of any other pilot that's that's currently flying um not like uh for example, with DJI, yes, you have a spectator mode on DJI that looks like shit uh, because it has no recent package option. So it just sniffs the packages that are, that arrive. And uh, if they are corrupted, you get uh, blocky images. Uh, you have no range limit uh, in theory as long as uh, the signal arrives. Because it's a runway connection, you don't disturb the pilots that stand next to you because your goggles don't send signals, they only receive. And uh, yeah, as I said, the, the usability is basically the same as analog. And uh, if the development continues as now, I think over a long term and during the next year, it might be capable to completely uh, replace an analog system. Um, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, Mark, and I'm going to say it probably will. With, with the new stuff that's coming, analog is is going to be falling back it's yeah. going to be falling back. Yeah. some of the the stuff that's in development and is going to come uh, is going to be pretty special yeah and as uh, i mean the the power levels are also no topic anymore soon uh, we will get the one watt vtx soon and when other companies jump in let it be Ishin, for example, maybe, or uh, maybe even TBS, we will see. Uh, mm -hmm. They will bring their own VTX uh, with a little fan on it with two watts, and then you can fly long range <laughs> as, as far as you want. Um, the, but there's one thing uh, I, I just want to mention uh, from my point of view. Uh, people always uh, say, hey, the image quality is so good, like on DJI or an HD0 or whatever. And um, when I decided, uh, or when I had to decide what camera I buy, I got the Foxia Digicide V2 uh, instead of the Runcam Nano HD. And then people said, nah, the Runcam Nano HD has much better image, better colors and better contrast and whatever. But <laughs> in my opinion, the image quality, the colors, the contrast and whatever you have there, it doesn't matter. I want to see where I fly. And if you want to see where you fly, you want to have a low contrast because you want to have dark areas bright and bright areas dark. So you have a wide dynamic range. And if the colors are absolutely spot on and perfect, like on my phone camera, for example, or if they, if they are slightly off, I don't care. I just want to see where I fly. If I want to look beautiful, nice, crisp HD footage afterwards, I put my GoPro in the plane. And I, I don't care about that, that when, I, when, when I'm flying. That it makes total sense. And that's, to be honest, exactly what it should be. A flight cam needs to have the widest dynamic range possible. Absolutely. So you can, uh, like you said, go from go to the deeper shadows to the brightest highlights and still see what you're flying into. Uh, and it has to have a really good, um, you know, sort of um, program and sort of firmware on it that allows the transition between 
bright sunlight and deep shade to be handled effectively and to look great. And the the problem with the little the original Runcam Nanos, they they were okay. They didn't do a great job of that. The DigiSight always did was better at that, I think. Um, and the new B3 uh, is fantastic at that. Uh, and, but the thing is, people, some people didn't, didn't really understand that you have to have a wide dynamic, dynamic range, and with that becomes the image becomes a little washed out. Um, and so they were going, oh, it's you know washed out, doesn't look very good, you know. And they they go and see the the new competition camera, and uh, and they go, oh, look, but it looks fantastic. And it's, well, yeah, it's but it's 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 kind of tuned more for looking nice than flying nice. So Adam, you were going to jump in here. Yeah, <clears throat> I was to say I I kind of agree that um, this could replace analog when it comes to someone using 5.8 analog. But my question yeah. would be, there are people obviously flying 1.3 analog, and do you think it would be the same there? Because from my point of view, I just can't see how it can compare to 1.3 analog. But it depends on how you fly, obviously. If you're going well, yeah, high up in the air, you're going far out and back, then obviously it's going to be absolutely fine. But 1.3 gigahertz just has this massive advantage that these HD systems on 5.8 are just not going to be able to compete with. Hmm. Well, that's it. It's going to have the, the penetration and the propagation of the signal with longer, longer wavelengths, obviously. So, um, you know, for people who like to fly with that and, and love the, 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 the 1.3 and 1.2s or whatever, you know, it's it's probably not going to replace them. You know, they're, they're going to maybe have a, a little sacrificial plane or a, a little wing like my F1 thing here, and they're going to whiz that round locally and have a bit of fun with that and enjoy the nice picture. And then they're going to get their big long range bird out and uh, use that on, on the analog. So, you know, there's going to be places for both, but for 5.8 analog, I don't think there's going to be much call for it afterwards. I mean, that's no, it. That. Yeah. I think okay. that maybe obviously some of the 5.8 analog guys would probably say, uh, well, when it comes to DJI, obviously, there's a big disadvantage for some of them with the DJI system, and that's that that cuts off at 13 kilometers. And some people using 5.8 analog are wanting to go further than that. But if this HD0 doesn't have that limit, then obviously uh, that removes that barrier. Yeah, there, there, uh, there's some whisperings around that if you're canny enough, you could probably get a glimpse of them online about the new one watt uh, HD0 VTX. Um, and then if you heard them, all the sort of questions would, uh, would just fall away. I mean, uh, the, I think the problem uh, for the 1.3 uh, flyers here is uh, we already are in a niche market in general with yeah I, I know I repeat uh, uh, I repeat Pavel here but the all, whole FPV stuff is a small market seen globally and uh, then we have now split this market in analog in HD0 and in DJI so the market gets even smaller for every single compartment or department here and uh, the 1.3 gigahertz long range uh, people the number is even so small compared to the other fpv pilots 
uh, I think no manufacturer in the next few years will spend money on developing a 1.3 gigahertz uh, uh, transmitter for HD0. I'm not sure if it will work, if 1.3 gigahertz signal rate can give the bandwidth you need for uh, the HD0 digital signal, maybe with tweaked um, encoder settings with lower quality lower bit weight lower frame rate maybe i don't know uh, i'm not so deep into that uh, but i don't think that any manufacturer will spend the money on developing that during the next years just to sell maybe 100 or 200 units at the end okay one of the things i brought up yesterday was um was about a singularity antenna which i put on a plane and i thought maybe one or two people would write back but i got like 30 replies back right away on this so there's a lot of us 5.8 pilots out there still flying these our planes on 5.8. And um, the one thing I noticed is that when you have the goggles with OLED goggles, sky zones, the e-sheens or whatever, or HD, HDOs, HDO2s, yeah, those are just, they're fantastic goggles and you've got some really quality stuff. But some of these cameras, like um, the little, like the Predator 3s and Predator 5s are really decent little you know, 5.8 cameras, and I'm pretty impressed with the quality. I know it's not op it's not HD zero or Open HD or DGI or whatever else we're talking about here, but um, it's not horrible as far as the text. I, I that I'm getting on my screen is very readable. I upgraded the goggles this year, and I was like, wow, this is night and day different. So, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe are some of you guys coming off of some of these older goggles that were not uh, OLED goggles coming into this? Yeah, I mean, I, I had, uh, when I first started, I had some really horrible, they were actually, they weren't even FPV goggles, they were they were kind of, what I started with was video glasses, you know, you got on eBay for like $20 or something, they were terrible things, and then I went on to the, the head plays, do you remember those? I think they were range video, uh, they had yeah. a they had a the, the most ironically named um, uh, brick with them. They were called the Liberator, which basically did everything but liberate you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they were kind of like a software-based thing. You had to turn them on, and they'd boot up, and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they they were nice goggles, and uh, they were kind of better optics at the time than the old Dominators and things like that. Um, but yeah, the the OLED stuff is a big, big step forward, I think, right. for clarity. Have you guys seen the newer cameras that I know they're really designed for the quad guys, but they're actually decent. I was reading in the specs on these things. Some of these are 1200 TV lines, which is no goggle can possibly produce that. Um, I don't even know if they, the DGIs can produce that. Um, but it is, I mean, what they're capable of coming out with on a simple $30, $40 little camera is insane as far as optical quality. And I know what's going on in 5.8 and it's not as clear and it's going to be pixelated and whatever else. But they, these goggles, the cameras are starting to get better, I've noticed, on analog too. I know it's the tail end and it's dying and that, that HD0 is going to replace this eventually when it all comes together. But for now, it seems it does have like... Yeah, it does have a lot to do with the optics as well, Steve. It's the um, uh, the size of the lens matters. You know, if you go from M8 to M12, uh, right. that makes a big difference. And plastic to glass, obviously. 
Um, right. And you know, sometimes if you if you actually opt for a starlight option, you can get more light in, so you get a crisper image, kind of thing. But at the same time, you end up with a larger aperture, so you have a smaller depth of field. Uh, it starts getting te technical. Um, but yeah, there's things like the Foxy T-Rex. That's really 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 kind of top-notch camera and i love it on my mini mini drag it's mm, really really nice and if you can afford it you can find one definitely buy it uh it's fantastic and um actually the the run cam micros the the hd zero uh, micros that i bought i actually bought some foxy lenses uh, and put them on there <laughs> because they're they're the best the best optics even even better than the the retel optics uh, we haven't gotten into that at all, but I'm thinking that eventually we're going to start talking about the optics of these lenses um, because the M8s and the M12s are essentially, those are kind of like anyone can manufacture them. You go on Amazon, you can buy quite a few different lenses on Amazon for that will fit these. Um, but when you start talking about going from plastic to glass and when you actually start to put money in something that costs more than eight dollars or twelve dollars you're going to start to see even more benefit from this i would imagine oh yeah completely i mean so this this little camera here you probably can't even see that tiny thing that yeah. is one of the original orange shark bite uh run cam nano hd cameras but it has been recased into an m12 printed chassis oh, wow. with, with a, um, a retel m12 lens and it completely transforms the camera because uh, the normal, the regular footage you get from that, you see like the tree line, you know, on the horizon and there's all this blue haze around it and it just kind of looks really flat and, and washed out. Um, that's just because of the M8 plastic lens. You, you put it in something like this, you give it good optics and an M12 lens. And some of you guys might have seen some pictures on in the group you know of like my glider flying and things like that it, it's completely transformed the camera hmm. so uh, the m8 and the m12 i'm imagining that's the, the size of the lens itself the eight eight millimeter versus 12 millimeter as far as the it's the thread it's the thread on the that goes into the camera okay threads oh so it's so it's the same thing it's metric it's like an yeah. m3 yeah okay got it all right so the larger thread means larger barrel which means larger sensor well, yeah, large, larger sort of uh, optics, larger aperture. Well, you know, kind of, yeah, just just more more lens, more light can come through. Perfect. God, that sounds awesome. Looking I mean, forward to that. I mean, there, there's one thing: uh, digital still cannot compete with analog, and that's low light performance. If I if I see what the uh, uh, the Foxier Cat three in my uh, in my clouds. Uh, can perform here in a dark room for example um, where i can barely see something myself sometimes and then i just switch on the camera and i have a clear image um i have not seen any hd camera not uh, for the dji and not for hd zero that can compete with that i have you have okay yeah, i have i have uh, i was lucky enough to get uh, one of the first batches of digisite v3s Obviously, it had a horrendous green, greeny blue tint in daylight, but I ordered it with a starlight lens and just amazing nighttime low light capability. Just fantastic. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's if you if you fly at night or, you know, around kind of parking lots with your friends, 
you know, kind of in the city, absolutely the camera to get. Uh, especially now they've they fixed their firmware and, and got it looking lovely again. Perfect. Now, I'm going to switch gears off of cameras, unless there's anything else you want to say, you guys want to add in here. Yeah. As I recall, Rory, when we had you on last time, you were the guy that disappeared for quite a few years. You were the uh, Eagle Tree Vector guy for quite a few years. And, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, you took off and no one saw or heard from you. And then you showed up again in like 2019, 2020 and like, where have I been? This is amazing. Yeah, I took a break from the hobby um, after a while. It just, you know, it was one of those things. Sometimes you just have to have a bit of a step back. Um, but then, you know, I kind of saw all the new gear, all the new kit coming and stuff that was out. And I just thought, man, this is this is like living in the future. Uh, so I had to kind of come in and, and see see what was going on and get back into it all and things. So, um, yeah, it's just huge leaps and bounds from sort of seven, seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, when, when you know, you'd have an easy UHF from Immersion RC and the receiver would be the packet, size of a packet of cigarettes. Uh, and the uh, VTX is, uh, you know, huge as well and everything, you know, if you, if you wanted something, you had to build it. You couldn't just go to a, uh, on a website and, you know, da um, buy, buy whatever you needed. It was usually involved hours in, in the workshop. So that's interesting. So brings up the topic of flight controllers. Now, I, I'm going to watch Mark get excited here because he has definite opinions on this. So um, I was thinking about the next version of flight controllers and what I decided on was this right here. This I'm holding up, I don't know if you can see it. This is a Maytech H743. Um, and so what uh, have you guys, what have you, are you gonna put in your planes going forward as far as flight controllers in the next year here? F765 wings. <clears throat> Of 765 wing yeah the wse yeah i've got a few of those now that's what we're we putting on it things going okay. forward is that luke and i think mark is the same thing right mark f45 wse uh, <laughs> because one of those on order as well thanks to mark's uh, recommendation yeah, I mean, the, the F405 uh, is, okay, okay, it has less UARDs, it has less power capabilities, but uh, it's still flight-proven, and it's the, I think it's the best bang for bucks, the F405 yeah, WSE. Okay. Um, I have an F765 ring here, I have an F765 WSE uh, on the shelf that will come into the clouds, uh, but after all, F405 is uh, still my go-to flight controller for most builds. So the only the reason I got the 765 is I wanted to get three of something and I didn't want to limit myself to the 405 for a full review. <laughs> so I, there wasn't much thought that went into the decision, really. <laughs> so the F405 WSE is the F405 wing just been miniaturized. It's, it's essentially it's the same pinout and it's... Um, and it has uh, a new, new barometer. It has right, the has... DPS 310 barometer. The 310 replacing the BMP 280, right? Yep. And, okay, so that is a new, that's pretty exciting stuff. But I think also, does it have a camera switcher on? I think it has a camera switcher as well. No camera switcher? Okay. No camera switcher. Uh, th th that's the only downside. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, it still flies. It flies with the same uh, INAF target. So, so, yeah. 
the reason I bring this up is yesterday um, Powell said something, and I've, I've, if you start to listen to Powell speak over the last few years, you can kind of tell what's on his mind. And so what he said yesterday was he said that on the H, he, he's coming out with a new gyro, um, filter for gyro, I believe it was, and he wanted to use something that has a few more CPU, you know, use up a little more CPU um, bandwidth. And so what he came up with was this idea of using the H series um, processor. If you can run this filter, if it works, then this would be a filter that will be available in iNav, will only work on the H series. And he said, if it doesn't work, we can pretend like I never even worked on it. it essentially is what he paraphrased. And But what I heard him saying is, um, Guys, I'm thinking of ways to use more processing power in the future. And so I want something that, you know, even though we've been talking about um, the F-405 wing, I flew with my F-405 wing. I bought it in 2018. I'm still flying it today. Um, but going forward, are we going to start to see some of this firmware, you know, where you're going to start seeing features that are going to be only for more robust processing power flight controllers? What do you think, Darren? Oh, probably in the future. I mean, there's dual core versions of the H series. So I think that's something that, again, Powell's mentioned in previous um, uh, podcasts. But yeah, it's it's in the future. It's, I don't think you're going to see huge amounts of difference over the next year or so. But give it a couple of years and then probably will be a big advantage for the H series. Mark? I mean, as, uh, in my opinion, uh, or as far as I see it, processing power is uh, not our problem. It's not currently, and I think it won't be in the next one, two, or three years. Uh, the it, maybe it depends a little bit on the craft. If you want to use iNav with all its feature on a, on a small five-inch quad, it is possible. It's it's doable, uh, and that's also be able to uh, fly acrobatics and smooth, and also use all the navigation features. You want to have a loop time of uh, or a loop rate of two or four kilohertz, then an F4 can. Uh, get to its limits but beside these edge cases uh, on rings we have one kilohertz loop rate by default on any bigger copter uh, like uh, 8 inch 10 inch 12 inch whatever uh, where you want to use uh, fully autonomous flight stuff um, also one kilohertz is more than enough look at autopilot autopilot runs on an f4 or 5 without problems it has so much more uh, processing stuff going on in the background with the extended common filters and uh, all this stuff. Uh, it just runs on 500 hertz loop time, I think on planes and even on most uh, multi-rotors. And it works just fine uh, without any problem. And I think that won't, won't change during the next year. So processing power is not the problem. The problem we have currently is only on the F411 and F722 processors. They don't have enough storage. That's that's the main uh, downside. Okay, so we're we're taking a poll here. So Darren, what's your what's your go-to flight controller from 2022 going to be? Uh, whichever one fits the plane best, to be honest. Um, I've, I've got an F765 from my Crosswind Mini. I've got an F405 for a project. So it'd probably be a toss-up between those and maybe VH743 uh, as well. But it's just going to be whichever one is suited for the plane the best. 
I'm going to I'm going to ask everybody. All right, Adam, what do you think? What's going to be your flight controller for 2022? I'm not too sure yet. I mean, over the last year, I've been sticking the F765s in. I like that board just because it's got the um, the higher amperage becks on board. It's got the video switcher. The um, the 405 kind of annoyed me a little bit just because they made a really weird decision to switch the pins on the camera and the VTX. So they're not the standard layout. So I burnt a couple of cameras. Oh yeah. On one of those a while back, and so what you're talking about is the the 405. It goes from five volt instead of being ground five volt and signal, it's five volt ground signal. And it, exactly, yeah, yeah, a lot of people burn up a VTX or a camera doing that, right? Yeah. Yeah, you get a bit lazy, and you kind of you look at the end pin, you think right, the signal's this end, so that's where it goes, and then you don't look at the rest of them. And I've burnt a couple of cameras doing that on the uh, 405, so I never really forgave Matic for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the 765 just seems to be a good all-rounder. It does it all. Uh, you know, if you're going to move on to a new plane in the future, it's pretty future-proof uh, for the time being, it seems. I've got a H743 going on my Alberbird just because I thought I'd give one a go. I've also got a few other random FCs. I just, I just tried different ones. I've got a 722WPX going on my spec wing. Yeah. Um, and what else have I got? I've got the, uh, yeah, I can't think of what other flight controllers I've got at the moment, actually. I think uh, I've got a 765WSE as well, actually. Yeah, I've got one of them. And Rory, what about yourself? What are you going to be working with next year? Well, I thought I'd, I'd go for some, go on a retro kick and, and rock some old school <laughs> Eagle Tree, man. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I've got uh, the F765s um, as well. I've got a couple of those uh, in the wings behind me up there, the Z2 and the, the Mini Drac, and the, there's a 405 uh, coming. So, you know, that'll go in the little F1. Interesting. So everyone has their own like little takes on what they like. And so the F765 tends to be good. One question that I have for you, Mark, and yet Rich, you can get to you anyway, um, on the F four hundred five WSC. Did they switch the pins back to going from black, red, <laughs> and white, or is it still red, black, white? Like yes, luckily all URLs have the same pin layout on that one, and uh, yeah, that was really annoying uh, on the old one. I mean, I mean, I have never burned something, but uh, then I knew when I want that there are three URLs on one side on the board and three URLs on the other side of the, on the other end of the board, and if I want to switch devices between the sides, I every time have to repin them before I can plug it in. So yeah, this was a little bit annoying. So they fixed it on the new one, yeah. Yeah, the, the new one has uh, always ground five rolls and then TX or RX. Uh, RX, I don't know the order at the moment. I'm sure they had their reasons, but I don't know what it was. It was an odd maybe, one. Maybe, maybe just a layout reason that yeah. they had to cross Probably. somewhere uh, from the traces or so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it made their life easier somehow, but not ours. I think it was the 722 WPX that um, has the UART in in between the, the motor and the signal. So the idea was they were able to use the telemetry off of your 32-bit uh, ESC running BL Heli. Um, but then I noticed on the 7, uh, H743 that they have the UART in there, but they don't really call it out per se. It's like they've 
before in the documentation. And so I'm wondering, uh, I posted the question, is, hey, is anyone using this 32-bit um, ESC and how is it working for you? And I've got a bunch of kind of mixed reviews. Some people say it works great. Some people say they have problems. Mark, what do you think about that? Um, I only have two planes where I have uh, BA Healy 32 with telemetry. And that's the speed AR ring uh, with the Teco F7, I think, uh, ESC and uh, the clouds, of course. And I'm just looking, I have the F765WSE here, if they have the pinout here the same with the uh, with the uh, RX pad in the middle of the motor pads. Let me check that. Wait a second. Um, this is S3, S4. Where are the motor pads? Yeah, yeah. Here they did the same. I'm not sure if you can see that in the camera. On the... We're come looking, on. Focus. Looking, at, looking as close as possible. Yeah, on the bottom right, you see uh, S1 and S2 for motors. And there is RX5 in the middle uh, to use the uh, telemetry from the ESC. And this okay. will make my wiring also easier because here I had to split the cable and then put two together on one pin and plug it into the uh, into the RX, uh, RX5 on this board. That's on a different position. And here I can just integrate the telemetry pin into the uh, three, pin, three pin to pour connector and... Uh, yeah, connected directly to the flight controller. That's much easier. I think they make it on uh, most of the current ports. The F722WPX has that. F45WSE, I'm not sure. I think they also did. Mm. I think there's, it's the same as, I don't know. Let's take a I, look. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about the, the uh, WSE. Uh, yeah. no, no, I think the WSE has only uh, S1 ground and S2 ground, right? Only four right. pins in a row. It has no telemetry input directly. Right. And, uh, but but what I like about the F seven twenty two WPX is that on the bottoms on the bottom of the board they have uh, the TX one pad. So if you don't use tele telemetry, you can still put a UR device on there. So they have at least the pad broken out. I think on this one you don't have, so you cannot use uh, UR five as a full duplex. Perfect. So we talked, we geeked out on, um, as far as planes is concerned, and we've geeked out on, on electronics. We talked about uh, OpenHD and HD0. Yeah, just before we move on from flight controllers, there's one yeah. I just had to look up because I want to try it out, which might be quite good for small builds. And that is the F405 Mini TE, uh, which is not a fixed wing, yeah, integrated PDB, but it's a tiny little F405, which has got the barometer on it, six UARTs, 12 um, PWM. So it's it's a fully featured F405, but it's a tiny little thing. Hmm. So Can it be powered from battery voltage? Uh, no. Well, actually, it's, it's, it says on here it can accept 6 to 30 volts DC in, oh, okay. but, it's, yeah. um, but obviously there's no throughput for the no. um, uh, ESC. Um, so you'd need your own current sensor, but for my, I'm yeah. thinking for like a nano goblin, something like that might be brilliant. So yeah, I think I might get one of those just to try on like a small lightweight build. Ooh, perfect. Which one is this again? It's the F405 Mini TE. 
So it's like right, a so it's the F four hundred five mini. It's a newer version. Like they put a barometer on it. Then, yeah, yeah. The old one didn't have a barrow, which was a bit of a annoyance. Yeah, perfect. Well, sounds really cool. Awesome. Um, we talk about the all the geek stuff as far as planes and and electronics and cameras and all this other stuff. But I really wanted to just kind of focus um, on since this is the last show of the year and since this is our holiday, this is really about flying. And so. I'd like everyone to, off the top of your head, I'm going to ask you, what was the flight of the year for you? So uh, who would like to go first? Can someone think of, everyone's like, everyone's like thinking, everyone's doing this. Uh, I, I know which one it was for me. I went to a big rock, which I'll have to quickly look at the name of after this and say after you guys are gone, uh, in Edinburgh, uh, in the centre of Edinburgh, and I sloped FPV slope sword, my new Eat Flight Radiant uh, from the top of the rock. That was great. Yeah, big mountain. Slope sword or radian? Yeah, slope slope sword or radian. It was like 30 mile an hour winds with Edinburgh in the background. Uh, yeah. Is that the yeah. one you made a detail out of? No, no, this was actually a brand new one that I got only a few weeks before. Put an FPV pod on top. Didn't have INAV or e even an OSD, just camera, VTX. And you're yeah. up there for hours having a good time with that. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. good time. Is that the night radian with all the lights and stuff like that? Yes, yeah, it's a new non-flight test night radian. Yeah. All right, so, so it, people, I've had a number of people crash that plane, and when they put the lights on, and that is, it's drawing so much electricity, it's causing battery sag with oh, that. okay. Yeah, no, I haven't had any problems with that, but yeah. Yeah, just be careful with it at night when you have the thing fully lit up because I think what happens, it has so many LED lights on it that it draws too much current. Maybe well, back. since then, uh, I crashed it, so I had to <laughs> rebuild the nose. Uh, and so I ripped out all the electronics. I replaced it all with my own stuff. Uh, I put in a couple of Matek BCs, one for the lights, one for the servos. And I've got an F4, uh, an F765 WSE in it. Uh, yeah. Perfect. All right, Adam, do you, what's your flight of the year, do you think? Uh, mine would definitely be the one with the Mini Talon, the uh, the low river run. I mean, I've been planning it for a while. I, I got my eye on that bridge, and I just happened to find a mountain that I could go to the top and start the uh, flight with. And, uh, yeah, I, I've been wanting to do it for a long time. I found a really good launching spot, and I managed to get um, decent weather on three days where I could try it because it's quite windy in that area you see around the mountains. So it was it's pretty hard to find a day where you can actually get up there in the right conditions. And also with the peak of the mountain where I started, um, sometimes that can just be cloud up there. You can't see up there. So it had to be the right conditions. So I had three goes at it. And um, yeah, the third one is the one that I posted and it was just yeah, it was it really got the adrenaline going because even on that uh, the video I posted, there were parts of that run I'd never tried before. Uh, for those of you who watched it, there was a this kind of in the middle of this field. There's this gap between these two trees, and when I saw that on the second run, I thought, right, I must do that. Uh, sorry, I saw it on the first run. I thought I must do that on the second run, but on my second run, when I came along to do it, there was a bunch of cows in this gap. So I couldn't do it. So the third attempt was actually my first attempt. The third attempt, which was the one I posted, that was my first uh, try at going through that gap. And I nearly got caught out because there was some branches that I didn't quite see until the very last second. So um, it was 
You, it was your second attempt to scare the cows away, so you get your third attempt. Is what you're saying? But yeah, right? and each attempt was uh, a different day. So oh, okay. So, yeah, so it was a different day each time. So the third time, yeah, when I went back and did it, I managed to get that uh, tree gap done. And uh, yeah, and going under the bridge was uh, quite nerve wracking. You know, it's it's one of those moments that you just know that. I just knew if if I didn't make it. Uh, I was going to hit the side of that bridge. It was going to go in the water. It was just going to be a complete loss. Oh. And it's funny actually because, it, in a way, that when I the one I published, it looked quite smooth and it went through quite easily. But on my first two attempts, it was a bit rocky. The wind and it kind of was. It looked like I wasn't going to make it, and I dropped in and just went ducked under at the last second. Um, whereas, yeah, the one I published, it looked pretty smooth and it, I kind of lined up really nicely with it and went straight through um and the funny thing is I, I made this this run and everything went pretty well um and i managed to keep pretty close to the ground and didn't hit anything luckily um and then when i finished that run uh, a lot of people probably won't know unless they read the um description in the video i finished that i pulled up and came back to where i was uh, located and i came into land and there was a bit of crosswind coming down the side of this hill and I was landing on a really narrow road where there was a fence right next to it. And this crosswind just really caught me off guard. Uh, and it just basically pushed me into the fence as I landed. And it just it just basically wrecked the Mini Talon. So hmm. Jeez, that flight was the last flight of the Mini Talon uh, where oh. I finally got the, uh, I finally managed to uh, get the flight done that I wanted to do with it. So yeah, it was a fitting, fitting end for the model. It got the job done, but uh, I wasn't gonna bother repairing it again. It was just time to move on. I kind of, I was wanting to get the Talon Pro built, you see, so I wasn't too upset about smashing it on the landing. But yeah, it was just, it was just kind of strange that I got the perfect run and I crashed it on the easiest bit, which is the landing, you know. <laughs> one of the days. Rory, what I do you think? Short was walk of shame. <laughs> Luke, can you say something? Uh, yeah, it was Holyrood Rock, uh, and the peak was Arthur's Seat in Edinburgh. Just, yeah, just now found it. <laughs> That's your vacation spot, yeah. Yeah, get your radian together and you can head out there. Yeah, we'll have you good module on there and have fun, huh? Yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Rory, what do you think was the flight of the year for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it was my little F1 wing actually. Uh, while it was still on analog, um, it was middle of the summer, just kind of rocket rocking around the uh, local local field and uh just as I was flying around saw this tiny tiny gap that just looked so tempting uh, in some trees uh, they were quite big trees kind of 30 meters tall 20 meters or something like that uh, but they were kind of surrounding a, a kind of stagnant pond shall we say um, so you had to come around over the forest and then to have a nice glide slope uh, in towards over the pond and uh, there was like four or five trees and there was a tiny gap that was it's basically smaller than most people's TVs these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of thought, I, I've got to try it. I've got to try it. So I, I lined up a few times and did a couple of runs and uh, and just you know, pulled out at the last minute and popped over the tops of the trees. I thought, you know, that's doable. And uh, yeah, came around again and, and just kind of went straight in and aimed, aimed directly for the for the gap and uh, the little left one just went straight through it it was unbelievable and i thought that was really easy so i thought i'll do it again and then it did it again and i was again and again and I ended up doing it like six times in a row 
Wow. And um, obviously not as glamorous as river runs or flying down mountains or anything, but it was <laughs> just it was just my own amusement, really. And, uh, you know, the, the sacrificial wing at its best, I think. How about Mark, what do you think? What is your flight of the year? My flight of the year, uh, I can directly show to you if you want. Uh, that was my visit uh, to my friend in West Germany when I had the best flying conditions I ever had in my in my career wow, in FPV uh, with this uh, big valley, a lot of fog and this oh, whole valley. You, you, I'm not sure if you see it on Skype uh, on the right side of the screen. There are windmills in the in the back. Uh, this is around 11 or 12 kilometers away. So this whole valley is just 10 kil kilometers pure fog. And I was flying all over to the to the windmills and back. And yeah, this th this was the best flight I ever had from just based on that's the scenery. Insane. Wow, that's <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, so uh, the, the, I would say this was my uh, flight of the year, actually. Wow. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Uh, that's like Adam G quality kind of flying right there. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, uh, that, that was, by the way, also the day when I uh, crashed my AR Wing Pro and damaged it slightly. <laughs> well... It's a it's a bitch hobby. Gives on one hand, takes with the other. <laughs> yeah, I can I can send you the link. <laughs> wow, beautiful, fantastic. So, Darren, what do you think? What was your flight of the year? Um, I, I had a couple actually, um, but they're all on the same day, so it's all sort of molded into one. It was the day I went to visit the guys at the funny farm. And the landscape there is just incredible. You've got so many sort of dips and uh, drops and so many gaps and just having so much fun just flying around, going for whatever gaps are there. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that, again, was sacrificial plane. So that's my little uh, mini AR, which was running like an alpha version of INAF 4.0 um, and also Maiden's the Dart 250, and that flew perfectly, pretty much. Um, but yeah, it's just hit, hitting gaps, flying low. It's just an incredible day. All right, Mark, I'm still seeing your video. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> We're still on, I lost my desktop. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's oh, yeah, like, yeah. And also, yeah, I met Charles there, which was fantastic. <laughs> Being all the way from Florida. So, yeah. Wait, you kidding? He was out there? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. He didn't mention that at all. Or he didn't mention that either. No, no. It's, it was, yeah. Just Charles, a couple of other guys there. Charles uh, Blackburn, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. He's, he's uh, always been kind of really active in the group and um, really good guy. Uh, speaking, so of, never... speaking of the yeah. funny farm, uh, Darren, uh, next year I plan to visit Glenn in the UK. If everything uh, goes well, maybe I can make a stop at uh, your location and we can visit the guys in the funny farm too. <laughs> uh, possibly, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, obviously Luke's in the area as well, so we can all meet up yeah, yeah, and I'd go be up find right. somewhere to fly. And Sounds then, good. Yeah, maybe hook up with Josh and Andy at some point as well. That'd be cool.
That sounds awesome. Yeah. My play of the year was um, a few weeks ago. It was just, I have a, I'm very fond of the Bixler, like getting up really early in the morning, taking the Bixler up right around sunrise, taking it out. And this was a day that was really foggy out that morning. So I got up over the fog and it was just beautiful. So I'm cloud surfing up there. I'm flying into a state park. All I can see were towers way off in the distance. And I knew kind of like where they were located and I would fly to them. And then I got out there and I realized like, hmm, um, I don't know where back. I, I'm not I, I'm not certain where home is anymore. And usually what I can do is look at the freeway, because if I can see the freeway, I know where north and south is, but I couldn't see the freeway because it was all fogged in. So I'm like in real trouble, flipped on, returned to home and just pray that it'd come back with enough battery to make it. And it was perfect. It landed fine. I could, I didn't know, I couldn't, didn't really know where it was until it was right over the top of me. Like I was not breathing, kind of a little bit freaked out, but you know, it was just really a nice, and that was an INAV 4.0 release candidate two flight. So I, I just, you know, it was very enjoyable. Um, yeah, so what about next year, guys? What do you think? What is the big plans for next year? Uh, we have big planes or vacations. Mark's talking about a vacation out to the UK, obviously. Um, what do you guys have planned for 2022? This one, the, uh, the Tiger Moth, I want to get that thing flying. Um, and it'll be FPVs as well. There'll be there'll be cameras on board, and you'll be able to sit in in the cockpit and look uh, out over the nose and things. And there'll be um, head tracking in the goggles, so you can look around and everything. And it's a big plane. It's three meters wingspan. It'd be like yeah. sixteen to eighteen kilograms. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to have you on again next year, probably later on next year. I would, and I would say. No, no, no. I would say we set him a deadline. Uh, we will make another a special <laughs> wing talk on Eastern and then Rory will join us and then this plane is ready. <laughs> Easter is kind of cold. Uh, I think we had to give him at least a summertime to get it done. Yeah, yeah. It may be summertime 2023, to be honest, but yeah. When it's ready and we have you on then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. It, you know, and I eventually want to kind of get it Get it so like that maybe the the instrument panels you can read them off and maybe there'd be some inav logic or something be useful for running little servos behind the dials or something so yeah. I you could already do that with some programming couldn't you yeah probably, Mark, yeah, probably. <laughs> um yeah i mean i was, I was like you could maybe grab um with an, like an arduino or esp32 and just take the um MSP signal from an, a flight controller, and that that will give you all the data for the uh, fuel levels, everything. Could, could you not yeah, even do this with yeah. programming? Or uh, you could do, but then you're reliant on the outputs from the flight controller, yeah. and depending on how many servos there are, you might, you might yeah, run out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I have I have seen a company. I'm not sure if that was a German company or or, or Swiss. Uh, they make dedicated yeah. Uh, you have oh, to say yeah. something, Rory. That's that's the dashboard. That's the instrument panel. Yeah, I get that working. I think uh, you showed that last time. I remember seeing yeah, that. Yeah, I probably yeah. did. You know, I look a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, they're, gonna be they're, awesome. 
There's, there's a company uh, in uh, Europe, they make digital instrument panels by your own design. So basically a complete panel with round uh, OLED displays inside and uh, programmable uh, to feed them with telemetry from your flight controller. I think they uh, their software uses uh, MathLink, but enough can output MathLink telemetry uh, with no problem. That, that should work. And they make really in different sizes, whatever you want, complete instrument panel that look like real ones. That's, that's really interesting i found that link uh recently I've, i have to look it up uh and can send it over to you maybe it's interesting yeah i think that would be fantastic i mean because I, I have seen i think there's a german guy actually he's uh he runs a company where they actually have mechanical dials so we could try I've and have a look at both, that, yeah. see, see what the options are um because it would be amazing to have an actual mechanical mechanism behind a kind of a 1935 kind of tiger moth era plane because um, OLEDs are great and you you probably be better better to see an OLED in you know in, a, in an FPV camera but um, kind of kind of want to keep it old school man you know no the, the problem with the OLED displays is they're quite close to you so the focus from the FPV camera is you look at the dials and they're blurred half the time um, I've seen a video where someone's actually made a mechanical adjuster so when he tilts his pan down, it actually focus, refocuses the lens on the FPV camera so that the dials are in focus. And then when he pans back or tilts back up, it refocuses back to sort of landscape area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that video. Yeah, that was really clever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that could be, that is, definitely be an option. Um, but I, I, just, I just measured the distance. It's going to be around 200 millimeters, 20 centimeters from the instrument <laughs> panel to the camera. That should be fine. I think if you're yeah, uh, below 15, that it can get close, but uh, with 20 centimeters distance, that should should be fine with the focus. Especially if you uh, if you have a small lens. If you have a big lens like a 22 millimeters with a wide uh, wide uh, aperture, then you can get issues. But with a smaller one, that it should be fine if you don't want to fly at night. Yeah, yeah, should be great. I think, um, yeah, definitely, definitely, so lots of different options to consider and some some new ground to to break. I think in uh, me mechanical uh, mechanical instruments and uh, HD systems and all kinds of things. So yeah, it should be good fun. Adam, what's your what's your big thing for next year? <clears throat> I don't think I have any big thing really. It's just I've got a few planes that I'm building, as you know. Um, I probably want to spend a bit more time getting the DRAC kind of uh, reliable and get a good setup on that. Uh, and I'll be giving DJI a bit of a try. Um, it, it's enjoyable to fly. And it, I know, Steve, you were, were saying earlier you haven't, uh, you kind of a bit worried about trying it because everyone says it's so good when you try it, you won't go back to analog. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've tried it and I would fly DJI and analog on the same day and it wouldn't bother me one bit. I've been quite happy going between the two. And in fact, my DJI goggles are up there and they've gathered dust because I haven't used them for probably about four months now. Hmm. Okay. So give I me am, hope. I am going to give it more. It, it's very impressive. When you put them on, it is very impressive because it's just so clear. It's just like watching your HD footage when you get back from a flight. You know, you get you download your uh, uh, footage from the memory card and you watch it and it looks really nice and clear. It's just like you get that live while you're doing it. So it, it, it is really impressive. Um, but it doesn't ruin the experience of flying analog for me. So I, I'm going to kind of give DJI a bit of a chance. And I think uh, on my channel, you'll probably see me trying to attempt some of the kind of crazy stuff I try and do with 1.3. I'll be trying to do it with DJI and some patches just to see how it goes. I'm not expecting that it's going to go brilliantly, but 
I'm going to try it and see what happens. Because I, I, I see a lot of people putting out videos of DJI doing kind of range tests and it's most of them it's kind of flying high up in the air straight out straight back and giving the kind of statistics on the different antennas and things like that but I don't see too many people trying to fly really low at distance. Mm. The 13 kilometer thing actually doesn't bother me one bit because even on 1.3 gigahertz I don't really go beyond 13 kilometers to be honest with you. I don't think I've been 13 kilometers this year. My yeah. flying is just I only use 1.3 to go low and behind things. So yeah uh, next mm. year DJ, I'll be giving that a chance on the spec wing and on the Alba bird, and uh, yeah, maybe getting that drac. Yeah, I think I put a poll out uh, over the summer. I was asking people what, uh, how far do they really fly typically when they're flying, and most of the people are under eight kilometers. So yeah, yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I don't have a lot of interest in going far um, unless there's a point of interest that I want to go to. I don't really, it doesn't excite me that much going, you know, doing the let's go up straight up and as far out as I can and far back. That, that's just not something I really uh, enjoy much, to be honest with you. So um, maybe when I first got into hobby, I, I would have done that a few times just to test the equipment. But uh, it's, it's not something I really enjoy now. I, as, a, as you know, flying low is, is my thing, really. And uh, out to maybe up to 10 kilometers. Sounds cool. Um, Luke, do you have any big plans for next year for flying besides rebuilding your Radian? No, not really. Uh, no, I'm just going to kind of see how it goes kind of thing. Uh, I want to get doing more speed run stuff. Uh, want to finally get my composite uh, workflow sourced out and build some composite planes. Uh, but that's taken, you know, a year and a half so far and I've not really made anything uh, worth flying yet so i wouldn't guarantee that this year <laughs> hey darren what do you think what's coming up for next year um i'm just gonna carry on i've got a couple of planes already that i'm sort of dying to made and um just haven't gotten around to it um but yeah one of the things i really want to try and get done this this next year is to get my sort of big planes up in the air which you know no interest for INAV people because they've just receivers and 30cc engines. Line but, of sight, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just want to get get my big planes up in the air and have a have fun with those. Okay, Mark, what do you think? What are, you, what are your big plans? I mean, you made a big plane this year, so and that was pretty expensive too, as I recall. Yeah, and it's still not finished. That's the problem. <laughs> so, the clouds, yeah. <laughs> the clouds, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's flyable. Uh, I still have to repair the uh, pen and tilt. I've I've done nothing during the last months on that on that let oh, on that plane uh, since my last flight. So I was focusing on uh, rebuilding the Rafax. But uh, yeah, the the clouds project will still drag me into 2022 and uh, still some work needed. So I still need the battery. I need to revise the uh, pen and tilt. Um, Get, get to figure out how I um, how I fix the CG shift when I release the parachute because my problem right now is when the CG is perfect uh, for flying as soon as I release the I release the parachute it's about 180 or 200 grams that are missing in the bag so as soon as it's, it hangs on the parachute it will go nose down and land that way instead of yeah. flat so that, that was my problem on the parachute test yeah I have to figure that out um and beside that uh some other projects um i've nothing big planned so uh still that micro vtol topic uh oh. is up uh that will start hopefully soon the fun jet 
Ja, yeah, Henrik, I will build the fun jet. <laughs> I, I, I know uh, he is listening right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, beside that, uh, no big projects. Oh yeah, and of course, testing HD0. Look at the HD0 going. Well, fantastic. Man. Sounds like I had a lot of good stuff. No, my, my stuff is like... Uh, this past year, I've really started to figure out how to solder properly, and um, that was something that held me back in the hobby. So now I'm going back through all my planes and ripping out all the crappy soldering jobs I've done and all the builds. And um, so uh, that's we've had not really the greatest weather over the last few weeks. So I was able to get out a few flights recently, but. Um, it's going to be raining for like the next week here all the way through Christmas. And um, so I'm spending lots and lots of time finishing, rebuilding planes. And uh, I've got a number of planes. When I get done with these junky old planes, I'm going to start rebuilding, building the new ones. Um, so I'm finally going to finish the Rathex and get that flying. I was hoping to get it done by this year, but it'll be next year. Um, there'll be a lot of planes I'll be maidening and having or remaidening and having a good time with. So I'm really looking forward to 2022. I now 4.0 came out right in perfect time. So um, that's it. I really uh, we've uh, turned three years old this week uh, yesterday. So I really want to thank everyone for who's participated in the group. It's been really great. Mark and Darren, you guys really have done a lot to help out. I mean, Mark is pretty much our technical pilot in charge anyway. But uh, realistically, uh, it's hard to believe that it's three years old, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, and that's the 25th ring talk. That's monthly. So, <laughs> uh, okay, it was not monthly at the beginning, but uh, yeah, two anniversaries uh, at, in the same month. Long time. Yeah, yeah it's uh, no, and it's been great. And we've been noticing that when people come in, and uh, pretty much what we're trying to do, we're at a point right now where you're starting to see stuff like the um, HD zero. If you want to see this work, you actually have to have more people in the hobby. So you need more people doing flying INAV and flying beta flight with the quads and whatever else that use the equipment. So if we can make it easier for people to get into the hobby, then there's more people who will be joining us and there's more money coming in to buy the stuff and make it cheaper for us in the future so we can afford to buy it. Hopefully, um, I really would like to see HD zero. Now you guys talked me into it. I'm gonna get that going next year as well. <laughs> yeah, Rory's like all thumbs up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so thank you. And thanks everyone in the group who takes their time. When someone writes in and asks a question, sometimes people don't have, keep in mind, we only speak one language, unfortunately in the group, but even though we're a worldwide group. And so if someone has a question, um, if you can work with them, as I know it's easy to sit there and like make a fu make fun of them or say you asked a stupid question or you didn't do this right or whatever. But the people who take their time and really help out really does help us in the hobby because I've seen people who struggle build the first plane, go from that to all of a sudden they're on the 10th plane and they're having the greatest time in their life. And that's kind of what the group is all about. So thank you so much for doing that and thank you for joining us this year. So anything else you guys want to say before we sign off? Happy Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Yeah, there we go. Yeah, this will be available as a podcast. I've set that up so if you guys wanted podcast versions of this, I will be a bit slow doing it because of work, um, but should be yeah, after the start of the year, probably. Darren needs some time off, man. I've not seen him this tired before. 
I'll, I'll get it done sort of Thursday-ish, hopefully, <laughs> maybe Friday. It, it, it won't be long. Uh, but also, I'm going to mention that I may have something coming in January because then it will make me work a bit harder to get it ready for you. Because <laughs> I've had something in progress for a little while. Um, I was hoping to have it ready for now with the INF4 release, but yeah, <laughs> shit happens. But January. I'm always interested to hear what's happening with Darren because he's always. He has perfectly amazing things he works on. He never quite mentions it and just kind of like, oh, by the way, I just did this. And just so it's awesome. We're looking forward to hearing that big surprise, whatever that is. And so appreciate that. And plus, he has a great channel. Uh, if you want to find out about INAV radar or how um, how to set your flaps or if you want to find out about we didn't even get into Rory, but uh, Rory has play with ethos this year and um he likes that so really quickly you want to say anything about ethos before we go it's just um, a really user-friendly great graphic interface uh development is really fast-paced they've got uh i think uh, the alpha firmware or you know lures and all kind of stuff like that so they're testing all that to see kind of updates on people doing turbine lures and all this kind of stuff so the scripts are coming so is that going to be the? You think the uh, system of the year next year? It's. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's there's you know Edge TX and everything like that. I mean, because the development on OpenTX is kind of stalled almost. So it seems you know there hasn't been a, a release for that for a little while now. Yeah. Um, TX is kind of growing, and I think um, Ethos is going to definitely be a firm favorite. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I've watching uh this morning I, before i got here i got someone went to my flying field and watched somebody take his brand new viper it's a 600 uh with a horizon hobby plane as a jet subtype and oh the um, edf vipers or something was it or yeah edf viper that's the one yeah it's like about 1400 millimeter it's a big plane right yeah yeah yeah. it turned into confetti oh and you know so black friday wasn't that long ago when he bought it so uh and he was flying spectrum and i'm like i asked him i said are you ever gonna get rid of spectrum and try something else that actually works and he's like i don't know spectrum is so easy i just love it so much so i'm hoping that ethos is that thing where it's like bridge the gap between spectrum and real radio systems or yeah I, I think it is i mean you see on the the fr sky groups loads of spectrum guys they they're coming over and changing brands and they wanted to try it so it could be good Perfect. Okay. Well, that sounds fabulous. Well, if you want to find out all about Ethos and all that stuff, you can check out Darren's channel. Mark has a channel as well. It's mostly in German, but he does have some English videos as well. And so, um, and he's always working on interesting things. And so he just, if you want to find out, I mean, definitely those are like, should be the most, you should have those as subscriptions, both Darren and Mark's channel. And um, obviously, if you're watching us on uh, YouTube, we are watching Mark Channel anyway. So please subscribe and, and until don't next forget, time. And don't forget to subscribe also to Rory and Adam. They have great channels with fantastic flying footage on both. Oh my gosh. Before <laughs> I forget. Oh my God. Oh, sorry about that. Yes. Rory and uh, yes, most Adam in particular does amazing things. It just goes out and does awesome things and just kind of like. So these are both definitely the channels to check out. Adam G, what's your channel? Adam G does FPV? That's it. That's the one. Okay. Thank you very much. And what about Rory? What's your channel? 
I haven't kind of posted on it or used it for a long time. I, I can't even remember the name, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, look in the group and see if he has... Uh, Maybe know. I posted it somewhere. You'll have to have a look. Yeah, have a look. Yeah, next time we post that, Rory always has interesting things to post about. It's just absolutely fun. So looking forward to next year. Everyone have a great, safe holiday season and stay well, and we'll catch you next year. Thanks so much for joining us today. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Wing Talk. The webcast is live the third Sunday of every month, and this podcast follows shortly afterwards. Check out inavfixedwinggroup.com for more details.